It's really good to see you guys again. It's really good to be back with you. And I'm thankful to the Lord for the way that you guys have moved to the compound. This is my first time in the compound since we moved from the convention center. And I'm thankful for the way that you guys have been gracious and patient. And I'm really glad to be back with you. Our scripture reading, our scripture passage is Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. Open your Bible if you're able. We're going to actually look at a bunch of passages today. But we are ending our sermon series on prayer, and this is the last passage we're going to cover in Matthew 6. So you can follow along on the screen behind me or in your Bible or on your device. Matthew 6, verse 16, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, we want to be the kind of people who care what you think. You see us when no one else is around. You see what's happening inside our hearts right now, things that no one else can see. Would you produce what's pleasing in your sight in us this morning? I pray you'd help me as I preach. I pray you'd help us as we listen, that you would reveal your son to us that we would know you more clearly in Jesus and we would trust you more fully. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So you guys remember in the Gospel of John, so we were doing a series on the Gospel of John before this summer. In chapter 6, John, well Jesus, in John, calls himself the bread of life. And what he means, what he's telling these people he did the miracle for, is that he can feed our souls. Our souls have hunger, our souls have thirst, and what they need is him. He can satisfy our spirits the way that nothing else can. So you were made, your spirit was made to fellowship with Jesus. And, and without him, your soul can't live. You stay alive by feeding on who Jesus is. That's how your spirit lives. But it's easy to forget that, isn't it? It's easy. It's easy to forget that if your soul doesn't feed on Jesus, it will starve. And it will. Now, here in a worship gathering, we know that we need Jesus. We know it. We're singing, Jesus, we need you. We need you to answer our prayers. We love you. But by the time Wednesday morning rolls around... We might be too busy. There's other things going on than to feed our souls on Jesus. Isn't that true? That never happens with physical food, does it? Nobody is going to skip eating until Wednesday morning because your body's not going to let you do it. God has de designed our bodies in such a way that we, we know our body's screaming at us if we don't eat the food that it needs. 
we can't forget to eat. Just ask, how many have been too busy this week? Too busy to spend time with Jesus. He is that much greater than food for our bodies. He's food for our souls. Now, fasting. Fasting is not eating intentionally so that you feel it. Your body's telling you, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I need something right now. That's what fasting is. And it's one of the ways that God wants to help you experience that your soul needs him like your body needs food. Fasting is a physical way to help humble your spirit in prayer and therefore receive God's help. Now, in our passage, so Matthew 6, 16 through 18, Jesus assumes that we know what fasting is, and he assumes that we do it. But some of us don't really know what fasting is. We, we've heard other religions fasting. We've heard fasting for dieting. So we're actually going to start, and we're going to spend over half of our sermon going through lots of scriptures from the Old Testament and New Testament to talk about what fasting is. We're going to see seven things that the Bible tells us about fasting. And then, after we do that, that'll be most of the sermon. Then we're going to look quickly at Matthew 6 and see how Jesus is encouraging you and I to fast. So that's where we're going. So let's start. Let's start with seven ways, seven things the Bible tells us about fasting. We'll try to do these pretty quick. Here's one. Fasting is not eating for a certain period of time. Now, you may have heard people talking about fasting from social media, fasting from the internet, fasting from television, fasting from a dating relationship. And what they mean is they're going to take a break, and that's a really good thing. Some of you should consider those things. It's really good. But in the Bible, fasting, the word fasting is referring to not eating food. Sometimes it includes not drinking anything, but it usually, or it always means not eating. So here's, here's an example, Esther 3, 16. So in the book of Esther, Esther, she's been made queen of Persia. She finds out there's a plot to kill all the Jews across the Persian kingdom. And so she knows now she's got to go before the Persian king and beg him not to kill the Jews. But she also knows, according to Persian law, if she goes in there and the king doesn't want her in there, she's going to be executed. So she knows she needs help from God. And she asks the people to fast and pray. She says, go. Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. So there it's not eating and drinking. Throughout the rest of the scripture, it's always not eating. So fasting is not eating food. That's what it is in the Bible too. Fasting is intentionally making your body weak. So you're making your body weak on purpose. The only fast that's demanded in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is on the Day of Atonement. So the Day of Atonement, a priest would take a goat, a couple goats, make sacrifices on behalf of the people to cover their sin. And it was a day that they were supposed to fast. The whole nation was not supposed to eat together. So listen to what it says. Leviticus 16, verse 29. It shall be a statute to you forever... 
that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves. So that word afflict means oppress. You're supposed to oppress yourself or humiliate yourself. That's what it means to afflict. Now that word afflict, when it's used in the Old Testament, is referring to fasting. Psalm 35, 13, David clarifies. He says, I afflicted myself with fasting. So isn't it interesting that fasting in the Old Testament is called afflicting yourself? God is wanting the people to be hard on themselves. He's wanting them to be hard on their bodies through fasting. And it is. Not eating is a way to make your body weak. Being hungry doesn't feel good. You don't feel strong. You don't feel energetic when you don't eat. And it's on purpose. So by not eating, that's what fasting is, you're making your body weak to help your soul remember that you need help. So when you're hungry, it's easier to remember that you're not self-sufficient. I mean, when you're like really hungry, like bowled over hungry because your stomach hurts, you're not going, I'm the king of the world. You're not. You know you need food. You want it. You want it. I mean, some of you act like you're the kings and queens of the world when you're hungry because you're hangry. But but you're not feeling self-sufficient. You know you have needs, and that's on purpose. This is to help you recognize through physical weakness that your soul is weak without God. It's on purpose. Now, some of you may have serious blood sugar issues or on medication, so I'm not prescribing how often you should fast or when you should fast. That requires wisdom. But not fasting because it makes you feel weak misses the point. It's supposed to make you feel weak. That is the point. The entire nation of Israel would fast for a day together. Consider that. Men, women, children. That would be harder on some than it would be on others. Fasting because it makes you, not fasting because it makes you weak is not a reason to fast. It's the reason you fast. So that's two. So fasting is not eating. It's intentionally making your body weak to help humble your soul. Now here's three. Fasting is for the sake of your prayers being heard. Listen to Isaiah 66 too. God is speaking and he says, this is the one to whom I will look. So he's telling us, my eyes are going through the earth. I'm going to tell you who I look at, who I give my special attention to. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So not eating by itself doesn't please God. But if by not eating you're humbling your spirit before him, he loves that. He sees that. He loves that kind of humility in heart. Fasting helps us get there. And that's what draws his attention. Anybody want that? Anybody want the eyes of God on your life, the special attention of God? He looks towards humble, contrite hearts. Fasting is a way to help us get there. So that's why when there's a desperate problem in Israel or the church 
in the New Testament is desperate for guidance or help from God, they fast. It's in order to help humble their hearts because they know God sees humility. He looks towards humility, and we need God to look at us, to hear us. So the apostles fast for guidance. The church does. Acts 13 and Acts 14. Is there anybody in here who needs guidance? Anybody. Anybody not sure what next steps you ought to take? Lots of big decisions, and you don't know. God loves to give guidance to those who humble themselves. Anybody need help in here? Anybody got a circumstance or problem that's too big for you? God loves to help the humble. Ezra 8, you guys remember last summer, if you were around, Ezra is about to lead the people of Israel from Babylon back to Jerusalem. That's a long journey, by the way. Men, women, and children. And they're scared. They have good reason to be scared. Army, I mean, just a raid, like a bunch of raiders out in the desert could wipe you out. Weather, lions, tigers, bears, they're scared. And so they fast. All the people fast and pray. They humble themselves and God hears. Are you desperate for your prayers to be heard? Fasting helps humble your heart for the sake of your prayers. That leads to the next point. We mentioned it already. Fasting by itself, this is point four if you're taking count. Fasting by itself, so without a humble heart, is worthless spiritually. So in, in Isaiah 58, the people are complaining, the people of Israel, they're saying, we're fasting and we're praying, why don't you hear us? God, why aren't you listening? We're fasting. Listen to what God says. So actually listen to what the people say and then listen to God's response. This is Isaiah 58, 3 through 4. The people say, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And God answers, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. So not eating does not impress God. The Pharisees fasted twice a week. They thought it was pretty impressive, but God didn't. I mean, people are fasting all the time for health reasons. They want to look good in their skinny jeans. That's not going to make your prayers heard. It might help you look better in your jeans, but it gives no spiritual benefit if your heart is not humbling itself before the Lord. Five, fasting can be corporate, which means you can do it with other people. Or you can do it privately, by yourself. So we, we already talked about the Day of Atonement. The whole nation was fasting together. Ezra 8, we talked about that. The nation is fasting together. It happens multiple times in the Old Testament. People say, hey, we're going to fast on this day. Let's do it together, to humble ourselves together before the Lord. We've never done that as a church, as far as I know, since I've been here. But it would not be out of place someday to do it. Now, you should fast privately as well. We have many instances in the Old Testament of people fasting alone. Moses, Nehemiah, Daniel, David. 
They fast when they need God's help in a, an especially desperate way. So you can fast corporately or privately. Six, the New Testament does not tell us when or how often we should fast. So it doesn't tell us you need to fast on this day and skip this many meals. Now, the New Testament assumes that we will fast. We're going to see that in Matthew chapter 6 once we get to it. But it doesn't tell us how often. We see examples. Anna, who's a prophetess, it says she fasts and prays continuously, which doesn't mean she never ate. But it does mean it was a regular part of her life. Fasting was a regular discipline in her life. The New Testament describes times when the church and apostles are in trouble. They, they fast for guidance. But the New Testament doesn't say, you need to fast once a week, twice a week, twice a month, for Easter, for Lent. You're given tremendous freedom to seek the Lord's help through fasting when the Lord gives you wisdom to do it. I hope you take advantage of that freedom. Here's seven. Last one. Fasting expresses our particular need for Jesus. Listen to Matthew 9, because Jesus relates all fasting to himself. It's incredible. This is Matthew 9, 14 through 15. The disciples of John the Baptist, so John the Baptist, he's baptizing people. He has people who are following him. He has disciples. They come to Jesus and they say, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? It's interesting, isn't it? We know Jesus fasted for 40 days at the start of his ministry, but apparently while his 12 disciples are with him, they're not fasting. And listen to what Jesus says. Listen to how he relates all fasting to himself. He said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus is saying, Listen, when you're at a wedding and the groom's there, you're a friend of the groom, it's party time. Nobody is upset. No one's fasting. You're feasting. You're having a good time. When the groom's around, things are good. Luke and Sabina, when you're together, it's party time. When you're apart, that's when the longing expresses itself. Like, I need you. That's what Jesus is saying. When you're at, when you're at the wedding with the groom, it's party time. But what if the groom got taken away? then it would be appropriate to express your longing and say, I need you. I want you here. And Jesus is telling us, I'm the bridegroom. We fast because he's not with us right now, and he's the one we need. And he's the one who can give us all that we need. Do you see that? Do you see how Jesus is relating all fasting to himself? We need him. We need his help. We need his presence. We need him to provide. All Christian fasting relates to Jesus. When, we, when we're fasting because we have needs, so we got needs, and it can be whatever. It can be at work. It can be financial. It can be real spiritual needs that you have, and you're fasting for it. You're humbling yourself before the Lord. You should remember Jesus is the one 
he himself who supplies those things that I need. I need him most of all. And on the cross, he purchased for me every prayer that will ever be answered. That's a, that's a really good thing to do when you're fasting and praying, is relate your fasting and relate your praying to Jesus. He's the one you need, and he's the one who purchased all that you could ever need. So when you fast and express how needy you are, remember, Jesus fills your needs. His return is what you need most of all. We need you to come back, Jesus. That would be the best. We will have no more needs when that happens. But until then, he will and can give you the guidance and help you need until then. He paid for it for you. So trust him for it. So here's what we've seen. Super quick. Fasting's not eating. It's not eating to intentionally make yourself weak physically to help your heart be humble. It's for the sake of your prayers being heard because God loves humble hearts and we need help to get our hearts in the position they ought to be in. Fasting by itself without a humble heart, it's worthless. It can be with other people. It can be alone. It can be whenever, whenever. Doesn't, New Testament doesn't tell us when we have to. And it's expressing our particular need for Jesus. Okay, we're well over halfway so don't panic. We're going to get to Matthew 6. But before we do, before we end with Matthew 6, I want to remind you of the gospel of grace. You and I are sinners who deserve God's anger over our lives. And God's anger is over our lives for the sin we've done. We, we should be punished for the, the ways that we've thought, the ways that we've acted that don't honor him. He's, he's that glorious. But he also loves you. And so he sends his son, his eternal son, to become one of us. So, so Jesus is a man. He's the eternal son of God who becomes a man and he lives a good life. No one's ever done that before. He did. He lived a good life, and he went to the cross as planned. So he goes to the cross, not as an accident, not because things got out of control, but as planned. And what he's doing when he's dying on the cross is he is being punished for sins that are not his own. He's being punished for other people's sins who trust in him, which means if you believe in Jesus, your punishment that you deserve is taken away. His punishment counts in your place. And the righteous life that he lived that deserves good from God, that righteousness gets counted to your account if you believe in him. And then he gives you new life so that you can live for him. Which means you and I don't deserve the good that we have from God. We don't deserve it. What I mean by that is you and I, when we obey, when we follow God, we're not earning blessing from him. 
The person who earned the blessing is Jesus, and we're trusting in him, which means when he gives us forgiveness and his righteousness, it's a gift. That's called grace. It's called grace. All the good. And you've got so much good coming your way. And most of it hasn't even come your way. It's coming in heaven. All that grace Jesus paid for. It's a gift. And even when you obey, after he saves you, you still aren't earning blessing from him. So here's an illustration. Imagine you're being very reckless so maybe you're drinking and driving, but you get in a terrible car accident and you're rushed to the hospital and they have to amputate both of your legs. Now the hospital that you're at is doing an experimental surgery with prosthetics, these new prosthetic legs, fake, fake legs that they've been developing, and they decide that you're a good candidate, and so they're going to cover all the costs to give you these new prosthetic legs, to give you the physio, the physical therapy you need to be able to walk on them, and so here you are. You have these new legs in some ways stronger than the ones that you had before, and you can move around on them. Okay, now you're about to leave the hospital. You've been through recovery and physio. You're in your room, and you hear over the intercom, Mr. Norris, or whatever your name is, if you walk up to the third floor lobby area, we have a surprise for you. Okay, so on your new legs, you walk up the stairs to the third floor, and when you get there at the nurse's station, they have a cake and presents for you. And they say, surprise. The surprise is for you as you're leaving today. I mean, look at you. You just walked up the stairs by yourself to the third floor. Would anyone in their right mind think that walking up those stairs earned them that cake or those presents. You used the legs they gave you and taught you to walk on to get a gift that they bought for you. Christian obedience does not earn us anything. We're simply using the legs that God gave us. And the reason I bring that up is because in Matthew 6, Jesus repeatedly promises that we'll be rewarded if we obey him. Repeatedly. So Luke covered it in prayer. You go, you go into your room and pray in secret, and God will reward you. So reward, reward, reward. It's promised over and over again in Matthew 6. And guess what? Jesus means it. He will give you reward if you do what he says. It's not a joke. But just remember, when you obey Jesus because you want that reward, remember, you're not earning anything. You're using the legs he gave you. He's simply giving you more grace, more kindness we don't deserve. So now, let's talk about Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Here's what Jesus wants in our fasting. When you fast, Jesus assumes you will fast. Did you notice he didn't say, if you fast? He assumes you will. When you fast, if you never have you're missing out on good that God has for you. 
When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They're so sad. It's so bad. It's so hard. Feel bad for me. Look how holy I am. It's for they disfigure their faces. You see that? And here's why. So that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. If you fast to look holy to other people, you won't get any reward from God. All you get is other people seeing you fast. That's all you get. It won't provide any spiritual nourishment for your soul, and God won't answer your prayer. That's a warning from Jesus. He's saying, don't waste your fasting on this teeny, tiny reward of getting seen by other people and missing out on real reward. It's a waste. It's the first thing we notice. If you fast because you want to look holy to others, you won't get any reward from God. Look at verse 17. But when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face. So that was just a normal way of getting ready. He's saying, make your hair look like you normally do. Wash your face. Take a shower so that people don't notice. You see that? That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. So Jesus is telling us to care most deeply about what other people or about what he sees and not what other people see. And this is really hard, isn't it? I mean, it is wired into us to love when people think well of us. I was talking with the with the Bible study group yesterday. It's like a hit from a drug. When somebody praises you, it feels so good. And you get addicted to that kind of praise. I like when people think I'm holy. I like when they think I'm special. I like when they feel sorry for me. This is hard. But the most significant thing about whether our fasting will be answered by God or not is this. Are we doing it so that other people see us? Or are we doing it in order to humble our, our hearts before God so that he sees? That's the difference between a fast mattering or not. Because if you do, if you do it for God's sight on your life, here's what Jesus promises. If we fast so that our hearts are desperate and humble for God to see us, we will be rewarded. You see that at the end of verse 18? Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Some of you are desperate for guidance right now. Some of you are desperate for God to help in a difficult situation. Some of you are caught in sin and you need God to intervene. For some of you, the spiritual fire is hardly burning right now in your soul. You're just barely hanging on. What you need is Jesus to give himself to you and to help you with the help he purchased on the cross. And God will gladly give you what you need when you humble yourself in fasting and prayer. And how many of us do not avail ourselves of the reward that Jesus is promising here? It's amazing. And if one of these sheikhs said, hey, you know, if you fast, I'm going to pay your rent for the next year, we'd be like, all right, 
You don't have to tell me that again. This is God Almighty telling us that when we fast, humble our hearts before God in prayer, we will be rewarded. The help he will give you will more than make up for any meal you skip. I'm guessing many of us lack spiritual hunger. And we don't get real spiritual help because we're not earnest in seeking God. And Jesus is promising to help you through fasting. Now, I'm going to take a risk here, just real quickly, because I mean, what, what principles do we have now for fasting? Because you've basically told us, the Bible doesn't tell you how often or, or when to do it. So here's, here's just a couple principles. And you got to use wisdom here. This is not a prescription for you. When you fast, the number of meals you skip is not important by itself. But I would suggest skipping enough that you feel hungry and weak, right? I mean, if you're like, I'm going to fast tomorrow, I'm not going to eat breakfast, and you wake up at 11.30 a.m. and then have lunch, you pray for 10 minutes and you, you eat lunch at noon, you're not feeling what fasting is supposed to make you feel. You're not feeling that hunger. Oh, I'm hungry. I wish my soul felt like that. You're not feeling weak. Oh, I am weak. God, my, not just physically. My, my soul's weak. Please help me. So, I don't know what that is for you. A meal? Two meals? Some of you is just skipping snack time. Whatever it is where you feel it, it will help your soul. And another suggestion is take that time, the time you would normally be eating and pray. Because we feel like we never have enough time. Well, there's 20, 30 minutes for some of us, an hour and a half where you can pray. Because that was time you would be eating. Now, you got to use wisdom as to when you're doing this. Doctors, if you're performing a surgery or you're operating heavy machinery, it may not be the best time to do it. you got to use wisdom. But God will hear. Seek God through fasting, and he will reward you. This, this promise is absolute in this sense. I don't know how God will give you guidance or what kind of guidance he'll give you. I don't know how God will help you, what kind of help he'll give you. But he will, he will. He will. Jesus promises when we seek him in humility, fasting, and prayer, he will reward you. That's an amazing, amazing promise. Let's pray. Father, the reward that you will give us is better than the praise that men can give us. Oh, Lord, we think it feels good to be praised by others for our devotion, our holiness, for sympathy. But it is a weak reward. You promise to reward those who seek you in secret, whose hearts are sincere and humble before you. That's who you look towards. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at your word. Please, God, make us people like that. We need help. This room is full of needs. We're full of needs. Oh, I pray that we would be earnest in seeking you. We know we're not 
earning anything. Oh God, we want humble hearts that receive your help, the help that your son has purchased for us. Oh, please make us people like that. We ask through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus.